Well, hey there. Welcome back to Let's Face the Facts. This is episode three. Three in a row. It is not an accident anymore. It is now a pattern. I'm your host, David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida. This is the podcast where I sit down with an actor or artist friend. We watch an episode of the classic 1980s sitcom, The Facts of Life. And then I hit record. We talk about the show, use it as a springboard for conversations about anything and everything entertainment, and hopefully other fun stuff. My guest this week is Philip Nolan. Philip is one of the most working and probably among the best respected actors in both the theme park world and in the legitimate professional theater world of Central Florida. He does it all. He's an improv guy. He's a drama guy. He's a comedy guy. He does the classics. He does contemporary stuff. He's just super talented. He was, for many years, one of the comedy warehouse players at what was then called Downtown Disney. He's appeared in numerous professional productions at the Orlando Shakespeare Theater and Mad Cow Theater. I've had the pleasure of being a supporting player when he did Salieri in Amadeus. And um, I was also in a production of My Fair Lady, where he was Henry Higgins. And we got to perform the show with a full orchestra, the Orlando Philharmonic. The best time, though, that I had with Philip was when we did Neil Simon's Laughter on the 23rd Floor. I played Kenny, one of the writers, and Philip played Max Prince. That's the Nathan Lane role, and he was just incredible. So nowadays, he and I get to play together sometimes on the streets of a major theme park that shall remain nameless. And uh, the episode we watched was Season 1, Episode 3, called The Return of Mr. Garrett. The original air date for this episode was September 7th, 1979. So let's get things started. Jump right in. This is me with Philip Nolan. I am here with Philip Nolan. Hi, Philip Nolan. It's a pleasure to be here with you, David. Thanks for this trip down memory lane. Uh, Yeah, this was quite the show. The episode we just watched was season one, episode three. And David tells me that this is the first one that he could endure. So (laughs) it was it was pretty good. I it's I said, this one's actually pretty good. And Philip said to me, oh, if that's the best that's been so far, I don't want to watch any more of this. Well, we've come a long way as a culture with our being savvy to, I guess, to narrative structure and things, because all children are raised on Mm. video content now, amateur and professional. So to see something that's really... From an innocent yeah, time? Yeah, the, the naive, you know? naivete, exactly. And and that is that is all over the show for its entire run, the idea of, you know, the, the again, the facts of life, learning how to navigate. Moral of the story. Yeah, that sort of a thing. So it's, it is all over the show. Um, I guess because the girls are young and because as we get into the plot breakdown, I was like, wow, this is a heavy 2D episode, but she's the baby. She was the most vulnerable, the most impressionable. That, from a writing standpoint, was a smart smart choice from the writers. But before we get started, <laughs> I have to say, when the opening theme began, under your breath, Philip, you went, oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know if you caught you did that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Had you not seen the opening theme uh, I season don't. One? I have no memory of this theme from this season. My memory of the show is of the later versions yeah. where it was, there was just a lot more polish, I think, yeah. to it by then. So the theme was completely foreign to me. Uh, yeah. And the, the, the lyrics, lyrics. And, and hearing Charlotte Ray sing. Yes. Even though she came to the show with plenty of musical theater credit. Yes, she was a, she's a singer. Yeah, she was in, <laughs> she was a, a Mammy Yoakum. She took over from Mammy Yoakum on Broadway and Lil Abner and was uh, the original Mrs. Peachum in the in the B. Arthur First American Three Penny Opera cast I did in the fifties. Yeah, so she comes with uh, a lot of musical theater cred, uh, and so at the time they were like, so naturally she's got to sing on the theme. Mm, maybe should have rethought that, <laughs> but it's uh, it is fun to hear the other lyrics. Um, so uh, before we get started, this is sort of a semi interview-like portion, coming back to the show, like you say, a walk down memory lane. So was this a show that was a part of your childhood? Was it something that we... Very much. Uh, as we're close you, to as, the same age. Yes, we are. And as you well recall, 
uh, we did not have the tyranny of choice that no. we enjoy today. <laughs> what a beautiful phrase. Oh, you, what a beautiful phrase. You did not have to say, well, I can't watch everything back I, then. Back then, you could watch you could. everything. You could. You could watch everything. Yes. Four and channels. Yep. Four if you channels. were lucky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some areas you didn't have four channels. Yeah. I mean, I never in my life heard, thought I'd ever hear myself say, no, I've never heard of that TV show. <laughs> Now it's like if you weren't watching Sheriff Lobo, it's because you were watching The Walton. Exactly. It was like if you weren't watching it, you were aware of it. You and were with the aw- advent of the VCR, you could watch everything. Yes. Yes. And yeah. So, uh, so you I, knew everything that was on television. And a friend of mine and I have had this discussion before that he feels, honestly feels that one of the reasons we can't seem to get together politically in this country anymore is that now your whole worldview can be shaped by those people who agree with you. You have so Mm. much choice, even in entertainment, that you never need bump up against anything that makes you uncomfortable, even in light entertainment. You know, there's so much. And he says that that has just succeeded in putting us in our own bubbles even more than we were. But when we were all as a country watching the same things, we had, we could all talk about something. Yeah. The water, the the proverbial water cooler. It was like, if it was, and the news, four news programs at most. Yeah. And then, and then the national news, Walter Cronkite was, you know, the the thing or Dan rather, whatever. But yeah, the, the proverbial water cooler conversation where if it was Tuesday, you were talking about what was on Archie Bunker the night before, period. That was pretty, I mean... Based on the ratings of the show alone, it was like there were very few people who didn't watch All in the Family if they owned a television, the few, yeah. uh, the proud. So I, I couldn't to, agree to, with you more. To boycott a show was a bigger deal back then. Oh, So when All in the Family became controversial, mm-hmm. and, and it had many controversial oh, episodes, God. Yeah. Uh, and there were boycotts from one group or a conservative group or whatever... Uh, that was a big deal because mm-hmm. there, the, you were taking a big chunk out of your yeah. <laughs> entertainment yeah. life. <laughs> oh. And um, the in the in the complaint letters, like those were the the networks could could vet them more easily. That, that's probably the wrong word. The idea is that the even though we theoretically have a direct pipeline to our celebrities and people we admire and the people who create. The you content, mean like Twitter, like yeah, I mean through social media, we theoretically have a direct pipeline to mm-hmm. them. Back then, because there were so fewer shows, when they got a couple thousand letters complaining about something at a network, that was a huge. If there were, you know, even a, I would think a thousand, like a thousand people having a problem with something in your program was like, oh. Fuck it, you know, def, we're at DEFCON 4. We've got to put a, when you rerun it, don't, or don't rerun it. Or when you rerun it, put a disclaimer at the beginning of it or something. It was yeah. always, yeah. Uh, you know, that was, uh, yeah, it was the understanding older people saying, oh, it was a simpler time when we were younger. It was like, yeah. Yeah, there just wasn't as much choice. And, and the culture wasn't as noisy. And, and sorry, my computer wants to chime in. You are on silent now. Hmm. Um, yeah, and it's, I, I, I legitimately, I, I don't suffer from acute anxiety, but I have a, an anxious sort of personality. And I always joke, I'm like, I just, just today a friend said, you need to watch Sharp Objects. You need to, and I'm like, ah. uh, Yeah, another, it's, it's another. Like, I'll put it in the list, but I. Jeez, another I, straw on the camel's I, back. Exactly. And it's like, it, it actually, I say it gives, at this point, television gives me anxiety. Good places back on right now. Haven't started watching it. I caught the first SNL the morning after. That was just a complete random. Yeah, you're lucky forced thing. to prioritize. What do I really, really like? Yeah, and what do I kind of like? That can go away. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, moving on, continuing uh, back to you. So, was TV an important part? Like, I I grew up literally sitting in front. That's all I did. Absolutely, as a kid. TV was the fireside. It was. And we would okay. all gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there were a few things that the family watched together. Uh, but I remember watching TV until it went off at night. I remember they played a bad version of the national anthem oh, with a yes. grainy video of a flag <laughs> waving, and then these these really mushy crossfades between the Statue yeah. of Liberty and eagles flying. Mm. Uh, 
and then it would go off snow yeah and you and I would feel desolate oh wow you know it was like there's nothing to do now you know and I would even turn the cha- the big clunky the channel the, channel yes yes knob yeah kachunk 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 yeah. four test channels and test pattern yeah yeah, yeah. Just desperately hoping there was something. And you and I don't I mean test patterns don't exist anymore now, do they? No. There is there is no channel What's to test. I know. But what I mean is there's no channel broadcasting that doesn't broadcast. Like even during the quote unquote downtime, they run infomercials. Yeah. Like there is never a point when any channel that I'm aware of, even over the, the airwaves, no. the digital channels, there's, I don't believe, any point where they say, okay, programming has ended for the day. That, yeah. I don't yeah. think that exists anymore. Yes, television <laughs> is a bottomless pit that eats content. Yeah. And that means that the standard of what is acceptable to broadcast has never been lower. No, true. Because we're on, everybody's on 24 7. Mm hmm. So put it on. Yeah. It's <laughs> and then put it on again next week. Yeah. You know. Have you tried the new function on your iPhone that just came out with this update where it gives you a report of how much time you've spent on certain apps? I would shudder to look at it. I, I know it exists. I I will not do well, it. Well, I didn't I don't s- want to shame myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't set it up. It just happened. Like most Apple things, you may you may just get a report or a really? push notification. Oh, this is horrifying to me. <laughs> it's coming. All I dude. do is play Pokemon Go every day. Oh, that'll tell. See, my oh. thing is clearly Facebook. I'm a big Facebook. Oh, That's yeah? all yeah. I'm ever doing. Yeah. So it's Facebook is my thing. So okay, so TV was big and was the facts of life. Was this a show? It was you in the regular rotation, like it was in everyone's regular rotation, yeah. like as we just mentioned. Yeah. And it rated high. It's it's rating even I, up to I, it's final season. I enjoyed it. I remember seeing George Clooney and thinking he was cute. Yeah. On the show. Yeah, sure. You know, in Absolutely. those later. Yeah. Okay. And we joked about Joe being a lesbian and all the rest oh. of it, you know. <laughs> uh, a little wet our whistle here. But the deal is, um, we get to the Joe seasons later. Mm-hmm. We will we will be bringing her in later. No, we're in the infancy now. And it's... The er facts of life. Yeah. I was I was joking with uh, Matthew Arter <laughs> that the, the first season is going to be a slog to get through. But he pointed out, he's like, have you watched the last couple of seasons? <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, I didn't even think the, the oof, when we get towards the end there, it gets... The last season is like... I think it's weekly backdoor pilots. They just constantly keep trying to make something else out of this oh. since they know this was going to end. Uh, anyway, let's get on to the episode. Okay. The Return of Mr. Garrett. Bum, bum, bum. Yes, we start with Mr. Bradley, the wonderful John Lawler, and Miss, um, oh God, what's her name? I'll think of it. Uh, the wonderful Jenny O'Hara and her, we thought she was having a bad hair show episodes one and two, the perm and the poodle frizz factor has, has reached another, I'm afraid to keep watching this season. The seventies were so embarrassing. I mean, you know, she was going for a Barbra Streisand. I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old and this came out. Mm -hmm. As was I. I remember all the, the bell bottom jeans and everything. I was there for all that. No, I was 11. I'm sorry. Cause this is, this is August of 79. This came out in August so August, I had just turned 11. Yeah. So yeah, you and I are both of the same mm-hmm. era, the 70s. Was it all as brown and orange as we remember? It was. Those were the colors. It's, I feel like... Beige. My my memories have color filter, like filters on them. Brown, like, burnt orange. In, in bur- yeah. Yes. I, no, you're not hallucinating that. I no, and so many TV shows <laughs> do that when they do a flashback. Like even This Is Us is pretty good about kind of throwing some of that stuff in there. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, anyway, it's a, like a mustard color palette. Yeah, yeah. It's ooh, it's just so dingy and seventies were just <laughs> awful. At least we can say we were kids and we had no say in the wooden paneling. <laughs> no, no. You know, the Brady Bunch, <laughs> the Brady Bunch yeah. library. Uh, Den, as it were. So we start off the episode with Mr. Bradley, the headmaster, saying, Girls, we need to buckle down. We have exams coming up, and there's too much leisure and pleasure time, and there are exams coming up, and so we need to really start getting back to the books and back to the basics. Now, what is his title? What is the character's role? He's the headmaster. The headmaster. Yes. Okay. And she is a teacher. 
And they, in the first episode, try to start a... Um, they try to create this thing of him being the newer kind of looser eh, rules are there, but uh-huh. you know, they can be bent and stuff. And she's the traditionalist. And, and so there's this attraction between them, sort of a moonlighting thing in opposites will attract, they or, oh, will they or won't. And, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, I've said it before and I, I repeat it again. I have never seen a less appealing, will they or won't they? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's nope. true. Nope. <laughs> like oh, like two cold fish on a slab. Yes. So for humor purposes, we've got to get back to the basics, back to the books. All right, girls, I'm going to leave you. Bye. And the girls pull out a Ouija board. This struck me as being completely out of left field. I, I don't Was it either. big in the 70s? Is that why it's in the episode? I, I don't think it was any bigger then than it is now. I mean, it's Ouija, I, Ouija boards have been around for hundreds of years. Was it in the 70s? I, ca- I can't did, explain its was presence it a t- here. I wonder if there's a tie-in, if there was a corporate... If, did uh, who knows? NBC have some stake in Hasbro or something. Very weird. Very weird. But um, the Ouija board doesn't really serve a purpose. It's just there for a joke. It's not really even a plot device. And then into the room comes the dashing and charming Robert Alda. And he gets a little bit of applause. Thank God. It would have been sad if he didn't. But Robert Alda is a big time Broadway musical song and dance guy. He was the original Sky Masterson in Guys and Dolls. And he is the dad of Alan Alda, star of MASH. And in fact, uh, he guessed Starred on an episode of MASH. As, as his dad, right? As his father. He played his dad. Yeah, That's awesome, yeah. 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 So it's, um, and he, when you see him, he's, he's got a very um, Jack Cassidy quality. He was clearly cut of that same cloth where you've got the, the dashing and charming rogue. Oh, if I, you've, see what you're I don't saying. know if you've much of Jack Cassidy uh-huh. stuff you've well, seen. Well, Sky Masterson. Well, and again, yeah, exactly. That's probably the key to that casting. And and again, that's the fifties and sixties. That was a big character type. That was a big archetype that came into being. The I guess the antihero. It was, it uh-huh. was the antihero was uh-huh. the sort of thing. But the idea that and he is it, Jack Cassidy was just a little too young, but he could have played Mr. Garrett in this. That is absolutely right on brand for Jack. Yeah. And uh, when we first meet uh, <laughs> Mr. Garrett, the ex-husband, uh, and, oh gosh, Mrs. Garrett sees him for the first time, I just, I began to squirm because the first thing he does mm-hmm. is grab her and kiss her. Mm-hmm. Very, very yeah. forcefully, Aggressive, and she and she is limp in yeah. his arms. <laughs> it's oh oh, it is it is ex- especially with what we're going through right now mm, this, this week. Is terrible. This it is so squirmingly uncomfortable. Yeah, this is the week of the Kavanaugh hearings. I don't know when this is going to be dropping, but <laughs> oh. that's what we're we're sitting through. That's what we're bathing in right now, kids. Oh, we're basking in the afterglow of the Me Too movement. And watching this show where a man, without a word, simply attacks his ex-wife. An ex-wife. Not a spouse. No. Not a spouse where you have some implied consent. No. 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 She she says his name, and then he pounces on her. (laughs) And But before we get to that, and I I forgot, I'm trying to follow the format that I'm stealing this from, is... um, uh, synopsizing the entire show, I should have asked you to do this, is before we started. Philip Nolan, in two or three sentences, can you synopsize the entire episode that we just watched? All right. Like what you would see in TV Guide or something. All right, here we go. Mrs. Garrett's in for a surprise. Her ex-husband shows up, and his shady past follows him as his uh, uh, predilection for poker uh, soon infects the girls. Yes. Leading to mayhem. <laughs> I, I knew you would do it eloquently <laughs> and beautifully. My God. Oh, that was perfect. Beyond, that was just beyond perfect. So to backtrack in our plot line, though, we have a, we have a, we have a little inappropriate hurdle that we skipped. What? Hi, I'm a man who claims to be the ex-husband of your den mother group of teenage girls. And he just walks in and he's like, where is she? And they say, no. And they actually say, won't you sit down? Hi, oh. adult stranger. Oh, I see. We're, I mean, granted, they're in a group. There is some degree of safety, I think, within that. But there's, 
I'm sorry. The the idea that, you know, okay, well, in the plot of this show, we need him to come in and then wait before Mrs. Garrett comes in. I'm talking like an old <laughs> an old TV writer from the 40s. But um but the idea that that there's no stranger danger factor or anything not a this is a private girls school. How did you get here? Do we have no gate? And this but, is a dormitory, not an office. This is a yeah. living. No, you're right. You're not Oof. wrong. Oof. I just, just to be devil's advocate, I would say that overall the show is pretty anodyne in its worldview. It's not. It's not a show that's that's skeptical or cynical about oh. human motives. And so I honestly didn't notice that huh. what you are describing was taking place because the show is so. Innocent, yeah, sure, and and even his character, Alda's character, mm-hmm. uh, has kind of a, a smiling gee whiz. Shucks, it's great to meet you. Yeah, wholesomeness, if that's the word. I, I guess yet non-threatening. Yeah, and and he's not young. He he's no. clearly an older dude, uh-huh. and I guess there's. Yeah, we could give them a little bit of a pass, but I you're think right. You're... Though there's a breakdown in in logic as far as we would think of it today. Yeah, and but in as many have said before on many other podcasts, being a kid in the '70s and the '80s was just being abandoned. It was like, okay, it's the sat, it's Saturday. Get on your bike. It's nine in the morning. Go outside, play with your friends, be home for dinner. Absolutely. And there there was no sense of super. We didn't parents were not attached to their children. In they fact, would tell you, leave the house, yeah, go get play. Out. Yeah. The, the fact that we were, we were neglected in a different way <laughs> that we got to stay inside. <laughs> but it's like, you know, the, the abandonment, the idea of kids just having to fend for themselves. I, and, I did it growing yeah, up. As I did would, I. I would, I would walk around until the sun went down, and when the mosquitoes started biting, that's when I knew dinner was on the table. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, where have you been? I, did, I tried no. to call you at your friend Sam's house. It was no. like, oh, no. you're home now. It was like, you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Do, oh, you, that's right, I had you. Um, <laughs> but, but, so, but I think I like, I like your observation. I'm going to continue to watch this show through those lenses of yeah, remembering it's a that very, the show... It's a very soft, friendly optimistic, feeling. Yeah. It's an optimistic It's not thing. cynical about human nature. Yeah. Even the bad guy doesn't really seem so bad. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, and, he's, and here's the thing. He's not a bad guy. No. He's a compulsive gambler. He has... Nowadays, we know he has a problem. He has a legitimate, genuine problem, but... In the 70s, it was just, he, he was just a no-good Nick. He was just a, ah, can't depend on that guy. He's always off gambling. So mm-hmm. you don't want to marry that kind of a guy, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, part of the fun of what I'm trying to do here is the idea of looking at the show through our modern lenses and, and often being horrified. <laughs> so he shows up. He attacks Mrs. Garrett and then continue. Tell, tell, let's talk more about what happens in the uh, Well, I, I wrote down here that... Uh, Two things uh, that uh, struck me about a difference in style. Uh, line readings are very carefully coached. Every yes, reading, yes. very stentorian. You hear all the punctuation. And the laugh tracks. Mm. The laugh tracks from this era all sound alike. Yeah. Uh, and I think they were alike. I think they were shared. Yeah. And from what I understand... Um, People who edited sound in this period would play them like a piano. Big laugh here, a rueful chuckle. Mm-hmm. They they would they would score the scene that yeah. way. Oh sure. Yeah. Now I don't. I will say I'm not very aware of there being a lot of sweetening of the laughs in this episode. So you think what we heard was a live audience? I think it is because here's a good example of a show that used a laugh track. Barney Miller. Yeah. Even though it was a three camera sitcom. Very early on, I forget why the decision was made. They did it with a live audience, and later they were like, no. Even though it was as theatrical as you could be, it never really left the office there with Uh them and doing paperwork. But I think of the sound quality of the laughs from Barney Miller. And to me, that, as a kid, I remember sensing the artificiality of it. Oh, yes. And, um, And I will tell you, in one of the previous episodes... We were commenting about how 
there were there were points when it was like, is there even an audience still there? Because there hadn't been a laugh for oh. like ten minutes. Oh. You could hear a, a cough or something. Oh. So I'm not aware. I I'm not saying that you're wrong in what? terms of that there were some laughs thrown into this episode, but I I don't gather, my observation is I don't feel like there was a lot. Oh. There's a clap track that they use all the time, and it sounds the same because the initial, um, the initial, uh, what am I trying to say? The first strike of the few claps is very distinct. It's when he exited. Uh-huh. That's the clap. You hear that, and that's the one they put in at the end of every episode, uh-huh. before every commercial, and it's... It's kind of like, oof, you couldn't have done a little better with that one. Mm, mm. But um, anyway, so I, don't, I genuinely don't know the answer, whether there was a lot of laugh I just track. find it remarkable that a live audience would laugh at literally almost every line spoken in oh. certain sections. And, 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 oh. and some of the lines are unremarkable. You're like, that's what you think. You know, and the laugh like it was some hilarious yeah. joke. You, I mean, you you very well could be right, and they could be better at their job than I'm giving them credit for. I don't know. Maybe it was just a, <laughs> a, a, an audience that had been warmed up within an inch of its life. I was just going to say, who was the warm up? Is it was it you know? It was uh, this new unknown guy named Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, so, uh, Mrs. Garrett and Mr. Garrett have a private moment where. We learn about their past. We learn it was a whirlwind romance. We've learned that he has not seen her in three years, and he is most likely back to borrow money for gambling debts because that is the pattern. Yep. In the meantime, though, they do reminisce, and there is clearly uh, still feelings there. This is clearly a situation. They reminisce about their time in New York, how they mm. almost fell into the lake at Central Park. And, yes. And they, he mentions they had an apartment overlooking Central Park. <laughs> well, you get that's changed. <laughs> On a gambler's oh, salary? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so. so, yes. Um, but in the course of things, he proposes to her again. Yeah. Like he full on proposes. And this is like their first initial scene. They, uh, we'll give them credit. They cover a lot of ground writing, and the two of them have a lot to build to from point A to point B. They're trying to uh, make it as believable as possible, uh, even though it's an emotional race uh, that they take. They go very quickly from, oh, you're back to marry me again. Yeah. But in the meantime, the girls are waiting and they're speculating. They went out for a romantic lunch and so they're gone. So the girls are speculating. And, oh, oh, we should have um, pointed out earlier one of the ways when he first meets the girls is that 2D does a magic trick with cards. Yes. And, and that uh, is his in. Yes. And uh, to 2D's amazement, it looks like this handsome stranger is no dummy because he has actually put the card in his own wallet unbeknownst to her. And so she tries to produce the card that he chose and instead... He has pulled a big double cross on her, mm-hmm. and that's the first hint we get that this fellow is no stranger to the con game. Yes. So that happens earlier. That's in the won't you take a seat stranger and hang out with a group of teenage girls who think it's perfectly cool for you to be here. Um, so the girls speculate what's going on. Mrs. Garrett and Mr. Garrett come back from lunch, and she is quite tipsy. Yes. She's said she's never drunk more champagne. And literally almost falls over. And again, more kissing of a drunken woman from... <laughs> and, and a drunken woman who's theoretically on duty. I mean, this is yes. her job. She's entitled to a lunch break, but she's a, she's a den mother. And she, yeah, <laughs> she had a bottle of champagne at, at lunch. At lunch, yeah. Oh, uh, long liquid. But again, 70s, was there ever, you know, with the 60s and the 70s, long liquid lunches? So uh, she comes back and she gets a phone call, has to go run an errand. Pay and that phone. Leaves a, that's right, the pay, pay phone. phone. I totally forgot that, that there's a pay phone in oh, the room. that made me smile. Um, and then uh, Tootie has been hanging out and she and Mr. Garrett have an interaction where she's like, well, thanks for making me look bad in front of my friends. I had this magic thing. That was kind of my thing. All these girls have a thing that they do, and magic was my thing, and you made me look bad, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm. And then what does he say, Philip? Well, (laughs) this is where the plot turns. This is where he teaches her about 
cards. The wonderful world of cards. Of playing poker. 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 And betting. And yep. yeah. And so uh, the youngest and most impressionable, once again, is, is lured into the lion's den because we're getting, we're heading toward our moral of the story. Yep. Our lessons learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Kim Fields is so good. I mean, even as, like you say, the sort of coached the child aspect, she is really good. Like, as a standout, we've previously talked about when you look at the girls and who survives the, the cleansing when they, <laughs> <laughs> when they do, the, the ones that survive the, the, into the, the second season, yeah. you walk, look at her and you're like, yeah, she's clearly one of the girls that's a little bit, just a little bit better than the others. And I was also made a little uncomfortable. I don't know if it was uncomfortable is the right word, but I was thoughtful about the fact that 2D is African-American. Mm-hmm. And why is she, as it turns out later in the episode, the... The wisecracking queen of the poker oh. table, kind of <laughs> fleecing her friends. Yeah. So it the way she slips into yeah. uh, the persona of someone who's from the wrong side of the tracks was a little ishy for me because she's the only African American mm-hmm. member of the cast, and so she she became uh, a junior con artist pretty pretty. Quick. Yeah, I now that's funny. That's not something I had any yeah, sort of response I a, to. I had kind of a racial ding there that I thought. Yeah, what is being said is that this this young African American girl so quickly becomes uh, a poker cheat yeah. with, with visor and everything with they, a visor with a visor. She's the she is the house. <laughs> For this this new the casino of 2D and yeah. she's got uh, the visor and everything and on the make um, yeah I guess because so frequently in the show it does come back as 2D being the youngest because she literally is the and she's actually younger than her character she's uh-huh. I believe she's ten wow and she's playing twelve here that's why the roller skates that's not that's not a, a racist thing of oh got to put the black girl in the roller yeah, skates yeah, yeah. that's literally a she is tiny yeah. next to sixteen year olds so and she, she does is, do well for one so young as an actress uh, uh, she holds she, her own and yeah, then some she does seriously do well. yeah. and I think because the thing of Tootie being the youngest even in the subsequent seasons that immediately that to me was just the oh. He's playing upon the innocence. Like like you said, there's not really the cynicism. But the fact is, if it was Blair, if he was trying to do Blair, you know Blair would be like, you want something out of me. All men want something, you know? Yes. Uh, so I think that my take on it, you, you are, you're absolutely right that there is, there is a little icky racial thing going on there. But I, I would wager that the show's intents were pure. Mm-hmm. It was just a, we put the youngest one in this situation. Yeah. In that. So, as we said, Tootie very quickly learns about uh, the cards, but before we meet Tootie, the, the casino dealer, we have this fun little scene with Mr. Bradley and his cash box. Yes. All the girls come <clears throat> filing into the office with made-up excuses for why they need to withdraw from their accounts. And he uh, quite readily just hands over the money after the lightest of questioning, which allows the audience to know it's all a sham. But apparently it never dawns on him that these just how thin these (laughs) these excuses are for why these girls suddenly need all their money. And uh, we'll give props to Nancy for having one of the better jokes in the whole entire show. Uh, Because, again, Nancy doesn't really get many laughs through this season, this series. But she plays hockey. But she... No, that's Cindy. Cindy, That's Cindy? Remember, yeah, Cindy's the tomboy with with the blonde braids. That's Cindy. Nancy is the one with the long, dark hair. And she's the one who says she has a gift to buy for a sibling. And Mr. Bradley says, you bought a gift for a different sibling, a sister and a brother. You must have a full house. And her response is, if I had a full house, I wouldn't need more money. And it was like, oh, okay, I get it. So um, the deal is that's the presidential alert that we're getting. Yes, we just got a presidential alert. Of the emergency alert system. So Mr. Trump is now in our phones. Uh, I've never felt better in my life. Hurrah. (laughs) So from this, we quickly 
into it that, oh, okay, what's going on is the girls are all taking their money out and the gambling has gotten out of control. And then sure enough, we come back to the big old poker game in full swing. And uh, this is where the the whole denouement of the show takes place. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see uh, the girls. Oh, may I stop and interrupt you? Sure. Uh, In that previous scene, when Molly comes in, that is uh, Molly Ringwald, when she comes in to take her, to get her money, she says, um, she asked for a phone book because she is going to hawk a typewriter. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, that, you don't have a typewriter. It's our typewriter. I just want to point out a character thing here. She gets a little chattery. And we don't always see that. Her character is very inconsistent through the show. But if you watch the backdoor pilot of this show that ran on different strokes, that is out there. That has been posted on the facethefactspod.com website where you can find this show. That video is there. In the early days when they... when you see, What you just saw, Philip, was even less well-formed, <laughs> if you can imagine. One of the things is they clearly were trying to make Molly the little intelligent chatterbox. Huh. And there were suddenly traces of... We didn't see it in episodes one or two that I recall... But suddenly we had it back a little bit where some writer went, hey, weren't we going to try to do, maybe let's try that and see if it, and it's kind of, mm, mm. it doesn't really work. And, it, and we know it doesn't stick. And then she gets let go. And then, you know, whatever mm. happened to her. Uh, but back to, um, so I'm sorry I interrupted you. I just wanted That's to right. point that out for the diehard anal retentive uh, OCD fans like myself. So... Um, you were talking about the poker game in full swing. Yes, and the girls are. There are a lot of jokes here about how naive they are. Discussion of uh, what what hands are superior to what hands. Sharing the cards with each other to say what should I do. Yeah, in full view of two uh, D, our our puppet master who's <laughs> taking all their. Money. And am I crazy? When you play poker, you either play with chips or you play with money. Yeah. They had a big pile of money and chips. And of course, you only <laughs> do that when you run out of chips. So apparently they had played I don't get that. But they the were logic. putting chips. Like she was like going, I'll see your 50 cents. And she was dropping unless somebody did. anyway. We we can say th- that's that is maybe a, a, an attempted at humor because <laughs> these girls are clearly not well versed in all the ins and outs. Sure. But fortunately, they do have Mr. Garrett to coach them. And when he first speaks, and I realize he's standing in the scene. He's kind the, of looming over them. Uh, I didn't see him there because I was focusing on the banter with the girls. And I was like, what is happening? Unchaperoned in a bedroom. In a bed, not a girl's dorm. Nope, in, in a, a bedroom, bedroom. Just standing there. Oh, my God. So that was that was beyond horrifying, but I guess you know well they've they've known him three hours now, and he <laughs> he got their den mother drunk. He's family, yeah. <laughs> so we have um, that, and then Mrs. Garrett is in the bedroom. I'm reading my notes on the thing: paper, money, and chips. Mrs. Garrett is in her bedroom, and uh, and we have this. Uh, well, the commercial sh- happens. The commercial break happens. And then we come back, and Mrs. Garrett is in her room, like getting dolled up, like she might be going on another date. And, or something. The, and this is kind of uh, the uh, the pressure point of this part of the plot. Uh, Mrs. Garrett is considering saying yes and marrying mm-hmm. her ex again. He claims to have changed, and she doesn't yet have all the information because he's literally <laughs> across the hall yeah. in, a, <laughs> in a bedroom with these girls, and uh, her. Uh, angel and devil on her shoulder are in the form of Blair and Sue Ann. Blair is the one, and smartly, very in line with Blair's character, Blair is the one saying, no, if he's no good, Nick, if you've lost money for him, if you can't depend on him, no. That's playing beautifully into Blair being the child of divorce, her mother having three husbands. That was a very wise choice among the many, many choices of girls they had to place in these roles, that was the way to go. And then Sue Ann was the counterpoint to that, saying, oh, but it's about love. Oh, but he loves her. Oh, mm-hmm. she loves him. No, true love will prevail. And yeah. it's like, okay, that I get what we're going for here. And more, more important than anything, it's lines for the girls, because they have seven damn teenage girls, plus Mrs. Garrett, the teacher, the headmaster, and now our guest star, Robert All. It's like, when you think of how much 
In 22 minutes, everyone has to have yeah. screen time. Exactly. I have to give them a line. And the writers, those poor writers, they must have been thrilled when they said, we're hacking the show back. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So this is going on, and there is, of course, no uh, necessarily, there is no reconciliation, no decision made at this point. No. Then, this is a very important moment in the course of the show, Philip, that you just witnessed, when Mr. Bradley and the teacher... Why can't I think of her name? It's Miss Mahoney. Is that it? Miss Mahoney, know. I think. Um, when they come in and catch the girls in the middle of the poker game, Tootie says, guys, I think we're in trouble. trouble. That is the first time oh, Tootie ever says that. Really? And that is one of those, I will bet you, it was not intended but this is a spinoff of different strokes. This is a spinoff of what you're talking about, Willis. Uh-huh. This, is, this is a, okay, we need a catchphrase. If, if we got a show, we got to have a catchphrase. So you know somewhere, maybe she said it a certain way in rehearsal, and they were like, wait a minute, keep doing that. Do that thing you did. Do it more. Yes. And then it's like, because think of it. It's like, this is a show. The girls are always going to be getting in trouble. We will always have Tootie on hand to be able to say, we're in trouble. <laughs> it was like, they, they must have thought it was a gift from the heavens that they stumbled upon this. So this is season one, episode three, Let the Record Show, Your Honor, is the first wow. Tootie in trouble. That's neat. And finally, Mr. Bradley, noticing Mr. Garrett is in the girl's bedroom. He says, what are you doing here? Why would a grown man be in a teenage girl's bedroom? What is the matter with you? He doesn't, he doesn't convey, in my view, the necessary amount of alarm. No. It's all <laughs> just more puzzled and, you know, well, this is, <laughs> that's this peculiar. is puzzling. Yeah, that's peculiar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. But that it is said at all is like, thank you, somebody. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, hopefully, you know, it wasn't a female copy girl who kind of chimed in in a writer's room session or something that you might want to draw attention or point this out. Um, So uh, Mr. Bradley confiscates all of this money that belonged to the girls and was a part of this poker game and puts it in their scholarship fund. He he confiscates them. I mean, I'm not sure there would be a way to sort of well, no, they were, they were writing a record in a book of their money. So this is before the age of check cards and PayPal and Venmo. I'm, I'm baffled by the bookkeeping logic here. But he had a book. So the girls were like signing out their money. So there must have been... Why didn't he just put it all back in their accounts? Exactly. All the money is there on the bed. And, and, he, has a, and he has a record of what money belonged to whom. He yeah, could have yeah. basically done a hard reboot and said, okay, as of right now, this is three days ago... Uh-huh. It's probably not even that long ago. He probably hasn't even been around. We, we haven't talked about the timeline or where Mr. Well, Garrett is. Well, he doesn't is. change his suit. No. <laughs> he sleeps I in think his car. This, I think this happens in the course of a day. But Mr. Bradley talks about how Sue... No, that, but the, the joke about if I had a full house, he says to Nancy, well, the other day you took out for a different sibling. Oh, oh. And a different, and he, and he points out multiples, not like you just happen to take out money for your so brother's birthday. So I guess birthday. Mr. Garrett only has that one suit? And he's been there a couple of days. Wow. Sitcom writing. Wow. That's, that's it. Wow. Anyway, just pointing that out, but <laughs> we, are, we are in agreement that records are being kept. He could have returned this money belongs to the girls. He and could instead have just reset everything to the way it was. Yeah. Put all but, the money credited back to each account. Yeah. But instead he goes to... He goes and says, I'm going to put it in the scholarship fund. I mean, that's good. The scholarship is what brings us Joe in season two. We have to look at it that way. (laughs) But um, so Mrs. Garrett comes in. And and all finally is resolved. Uh, Mrs. Garrett, who was on the fence, so we were led to believe she might have said yes. But she sees what's happening, and she realizes that this can't go forward. And so... Mm -hmm. uh, Kindly, Robert Alda, the dashing rogue with the comb over that you really don't mind because <laughs> it, it, it looks great on him. Oh he gosh. makes it work. He wears it. <laughs> he, he rocks it. Yeah. <laughs> he smiles his big smile and is remarkably not angry that she con- she puts him down. She says, essentially, yeah. you're a bad person. Yeah, kind of. And yeah. his response is not anger, but more like, oh, come on. Yeah. And then she says, no, absolutely not. And, he, you and know, she's 
pissed. You can see it on her face, but oddly, he mm. does not return that with anger and indignance or, 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 or anything. apologies. Even no, 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 certainly no apologies. And so, yeah. And he tries to kiss her one more time. And and she has to push him away. It's like, dude, really? <laughs> Slow your roll. No. <laughs> but yeah. And then at the end, it was, um, so do you love him or did you kick him out? And her response is, yes, I love him and I kicked him out. Yes. And it's like, yes. And then she pick up your copy of Codependent No More <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's that's what it's all about. And from our modern lens, the, the idea that, you know, gambling is an addiction and addiction is a hardwired thing. And it's, you know, it's not just a, well, I'm going to wag my finger at you and you're going to do better. It's like, no, you, it's, there is so much work and ongoing work through recovery, 12 step programs that a person has to go through and someone by their side has a journey of their own that they have to deal with. Absolutely. You and want to help people that you love who are in trouble. And uh, tough love is mm-hmm. a kind of a hard thing to learn. Yes, very true. And also, I just want to mention, even though we've come to the end of the episode, I wanted to uh, circle back very quickly. And uh, there was a political joke. Oh, was there? Mr. Brett, yes. He said that the girls were going through their funds faster than Carter goes through his cabinet. So oh, this is a reference. I didn't hear that. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. How so, edgy and topical. Yeah, I, oh, very edgy. <laughs> yeah, they bring in Jimmy. They, they, they stick Jimmy Carter for turning over his cabinet quickly. Oh, how oh. times haven't changed. No, I know. We've, we've just, <laughs> now we're living with and, a president who, who tops that. Yes. And another perfect full circle moment is we go back. The last joke of the episode <gasps> is, well, what's going to happen now, Mrs. Garrett? Who are you going to be with? Who are you going to follow? love with and they say let's go to the ouija, ouija board. board yay we <laughs> brought that back because that was remember a oh thing that gosh. we Weird. did strange and uh yes but i still will go on record saying that i liked this episode the other the other two were oof, they were rough if you if you ever get to see them i oof. you know what it's always the case with new shows Mm-hmm. If they they take a while. Parks and Rec. Oh my God! The first season was kind of season, a mess. Season and a half. Like it took better part Before of that they second found season. Out to, where the characters stood in relation to each yeah, other. Yeah, and how to say like, oh, Leslie doesn't need to be annoying. She just needs to be who she is. And yeah, yeah, no Parks and Rec. And yeah, um, yeah there are there are not many. There are some. There are not many, but there the are some Simpsons. shows. The first season oh. of The Simpsons should be burned. <laughs> it's. Awful. It's yeah. It is something. So before you leave us, Philip, tell me. I'm I'm asking people around. We've already discussed the uh, overabundant plethora of choices we have in our TV viewing. Name a show that you're very into right now, or a recent show that you've been enjoying. Oh gosh, uh, I really like The Good Place. Oh God, I love it. I really. So- it, the writing is so smart because it's it's more than just zany mix em ups. Yeah. That this this writer, Michael showrunner, uh, Michael Shore, he knows philosophy and he mm. he's talking about real ethical and philosophical quandaries and principles. And they they do in fact in the latest seasons, uh, they've they've specifically dealt with the Worker on the train track versus the yeah. crowd of people conundrum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you purposely kill one man to save a group of people? Yeah, you know, and they deal with that in a ridiculous way, of course. Uh, but yeah, the, so the show is just really smart, it, incredible, and, it, and yeah. it's fi- and it's filled with lessons uh, about ethics and the choices that we make and all that all that stuff. That's that's you know pretty preachy if you if you just come out and say we're going to talk about ethics but in this format with mm-hmm. this particular situation where there's a lot at stake exactly a lot. it's very entertaining <laughs> and you're still getting the information yeah about how our choices shape who we are morally mm-hmm it's, uh, I couldn't agree more. Oh, it's such a good show. The other thing I will point out that I love about the show is that when we were in the pilot, 
the first moment when she says, I'm not, what is her name? Ellie? What is Eleanor? Yeah. Eleanor, Ellie. Whatever her last name is, Smith uh, or something. It's multisyllabic. Yeah. But the first time when she looks around and they've presented her with her house, that is all the things she loves and clowns and this. Uh-huh. And she's like, when she says, I hate clowns, that is my name. I think I'm the wrong person and I don't belong here in the good place. And based upon my quick reassessment of my life, I clearly don't belong here in the good place. <laughs> that is a sitcom. That concept in and of itself, they would have milked five seasons out of simply a woman in heaven, wrongly, trying to keep up the ruse of her belonging there and not being swapped with the other person. So I thought to myself, oh, and that's what this show is going to be. Yeah. And it has gone, I mean, the the different places it has taken us, not uh-huh. just locations, but the different places the the concepts and ideas and realms it's explored yeah. and keeps doing the show is building a really interesting fantasy world yeah and and as each season elaborates on the mechanics of what is exactly yeah. going on yeah yeah i uh, i can't wait and i'm again among the tv anxiety right now is i know the new season started and i haven't gotten is there a couple of episodes out so far? Uh, two. There's two. I got to catch up I on them. I think so. I got to do it. Maybe only one. The yeah. second one might be tonight. Uh, oh, oh God. Now there's three. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Where's my remember. inhaler? <laughs> Anyhow, Philip Nolan, thank you so much for being here. This has been a real pleasure, David. Thank you for having me. Everyone that I have here in season one is automatically invited to come back for a subsequent season so that you might enjoy one of the shows. Oh, <laughs> So I will be recontacting you, and hopefully, Thank uh, you. I love I love saying we'll have you back on the show. I love the 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 trope of that when it's I will. There's there's no crew here. There's nobody. <laughs> there's literally nobody else doing anything here. So I look forward to having you back. I'll see you for season two, David. Yes. And there you have it. Philip is not just funny; he is so incredibly smart. But he's humble and very opinionated and just, I I adore Philip. I was a fan of his a long time before I ever graduated up to the big leagues and got to actually work with him. So it is a thrill to call him a friend. So that's all for this week. Thank you for listening to Let's Face the Facts. The show was produced, edited, narrated, and hosted by me, David Almeida. Come back and listen to future episodes. Share me with your friends. Rate, review, and subscribe. Visit our website. Send me an email. Comment on social media. The show is everywhere on the internet under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You need to cut off the let's. It's just Face the Facts Pod. That's the website. That's the Gmail account. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of it. Face the Facts Pod. Tune in next week for Season 1, Episode 4, entitled IQ. Thank you so much for listening to this show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you.